Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining us for what is going to be a fantastic show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available in paperback and ebook volumes one through eight at Amazon. And if you like a little audio to plug and play in your car or while you're out for a jog, you can get volumes one through six and soon to be seven at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. And don't forget about my Exorcist series, The Exorcist, Truth and Lies, Diabolica, and Full Moon, if you'd like to get a little bit of creep on. And now, without any further ado, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheard. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. How about you? Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, And who wouldn't like to go jogging with a Bigfoot chasing them? (laughs) (laughs) What motivation? (laughs) You want to break your current personal record? Why don't you listen to an account of a Bigfoot chasing you? Yeah, well, considering they can cross a four-lane highway in three hops, I don't think you'd stand much chance. No, no, I I certainly couldn't. I'm a runner. I couldn't outrun that thing. (laughs) Absolutely crazy. (laughs) Of course, if you saw me running in the morning, you'd think I was more like the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Looking for an oil can. Oil can! Oil can! You know... You know you're getting old when some young whippersnapper pulls over with the oil can and offers you to squeeze a couple of drops. <laughs> no, I don't need the oil can. Just move along. Nothing hey. to see here. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey sir. Uh, I notice you're a little slow. You want a little oil? <laughs> well, you know, Kim. Uh, been- so is it, is it snowing up there yet? Uh, No, but it's funny you should ask because they're forecasting for Wednesday into Thursday possibly something significant. Mm. So whatever significant is, we'll see, you know. I probably shouldn't mention that I drove down to the coast today and it's about 70 degrees. No, you you shouldn't mention that. Okay, that's fine. Ignore that part. Well, I got my snow machine. Uh, I, I always run the snowblower, even when nothing's going on, you know. I don't right. want to go out there and pull the uh, handle and throw the choke on and have nothing happen, you know. 
No, that defeats the purpose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it makes me have to grab a shovel, and that's not going to happen. That's not good. <laughs> I suggest you throw your shovel away so you stay motivated <laughs> to keep the snowblower uh, up to speed. <laughs> well, you know, I still need a shovel, though, to clear the deck and uh, the uh, yeah, porch yeah. and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the rest of this yard, there's no way I'm doing my driveway with a shovel. Freaking no, don't re- do that. Ridiculous, you know? So, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. I just meant to tell you, and uh, kudos to our listeners once again. I've been talking to a lot of people, Kev, as you know, and uh, just a fantastic group of people out there calling in, uh, responding to our saying, if you've seen something, say something. Uh, and, of course, if you're one of those people who hasn't done so, just go to our webpage, com, and hit the contact link. And uh, if you've got a story, typically I'm going to give you my number and ask you to call me back and we'll chat for a while. And uh, that's what I've been doing. And, you know, Kev, I, I, I had this one fella from Costa Rica tell me he, ah. yeah, he had a Bigfoot sighting. In Costa Rica, uh, when he was like eight years old, riding in the car with his family. Awesome. So th- I read I read that letter, and I think we're actually going to read that letter tonight in listener mail. Well, that's great. Yeah, so, so everybody will cool. kind of hear, and we'll talk about it then. I think it was just outside San Jose, Costa Rica, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but just very interesting. You know, the, yeah. these creatures... Uh, cryptids and other oddities all over the planet, man. There's there's stuff going on that people have no idea. And uh, speaking of cryptids and other oddities, what do you got for us today in our opening segment? Yeah, Yeah, so this week in cryptids and other oddities, we're going to go up to somewhere where it's very cold and snowy and dark. And we're going to look into aquatic creatures. We're going to Alaska. Wow. Yeah. And we're going to look at, uh, look into this lake monster that's been around for many, many years, dating back to the, to the native people and even uh, very, very much modern day recent sightings in the last few years. And it's called the Lake Iliamna Monster or the Iliamna Lake Monster. Interesting, you know. And here we have it, the the, the question that uh, begs an answer, Kev, right? People are always saying, where's the evidence? Uh, you know, I don't believe it. Uh, show me. Uh, and here we have old and new evidence from a lot of different people. And they say they saw this thing. And yet, who believes them? Yeah. You know, it's it's just the same old story we're kicking the can around, you know, the believers and the non-believers, uh, as if all these other people, both old and new, uh, have no idea what they're looking at. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about some of the accounts, and, you know, especially some of these modern accounts. People have video of it and stuff like that. It's daytime accounts. People have seen it from a plane, you know, as they're flying over the lake. But first, let's go to the lake, right? So so this lake is uh, southwest of Anchorage. So it's not up in uh, very far north inside of the Arctic Circle. You know, it's, it's uh, southwest of Anchorage, so down on the southern part of the state. Not the very southern tip of the state, but heading out into the Aleutian Islands, right before you, you head out that spur. That's about where the lake is. Okay. 
And by the way, listeners, if you can correct my pronunciation, please feel free to do so. Uh, This is a lot harder to say than Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, lay it on us. But this lake, Bill, is 80 miles long. And they believe it's about 1,000 feet deep in places. Yeah, it's some deep water. And an 80-mile-long lake. I mean, that's a big lake. Well, look, I mean, I'm not going to brag. I mean, I could probably free dive to 900. But uh, <laughs> after, after that, I'd need some, uh, a tank, you know? Yeah, well, or at least to get back. <laughs> <laughs> you got to factor in the round trip when you're talking free diving. <laughs> So what's an 1,800-foot free dive in ice-cold water? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 All right. But this this has been on television on a few different shows. Um, One of the uh, more famous uh, investigations was our friend Jeremy Wade on Animal Planet's River Monsters. You know, he's always out there trying to catch some of these creatures, right? I love that show. Yeah. Um, and now he believes um, that it's a giant white sturgeon. You know, I'm not sure about that. I mean, certainly these big sturgeon are prehistoric looking beasts. Right. Um, but, you know, in some of the videos that I've seen, uh, which I'll talk about, uh, this thing looks bigger than a big sturgeon. Well, you know, the rover's grappling for the... I'm not saying Jeremy Wade. I think that guy is on the money with his efforts. He's solid, yeah. Uh, yeah but, absolutely. you know, the explanation sometimes, it, it people don't want to accept, you know, that I saw this undulating snake 40 feet long, and then they say, well, maybe a, a, a large sturgeon. Yeah, you know, you, and that's some other folks talk about it as a, uh, a Pacific sleeper shark. Now, have you ever heard of one of those? No, no. What do they do? Yeah, I, I hadn't, but I looked into it. So now you got to get over the fact that we're talking about a lake, a freshwater lake, and this Pacific sleeper shark lives in the Pacific Ocean, so it's a saltwater shark. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're about uh, 15 feet long and about 2,000 pounds. And they have teeth, like they cruise along near the bottom. They eat octopus and stuff like that. But I never heard of them before until we started talking about this. And you, you know, yeah, you and of say, course. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and of course, how does one of these sleeper sharks find its way into uh, a deep freshwater lake in Alaska? Yeah, well, and and don't forget, whenever we talk about these creatures, and this is hard sometimes, but whether we're talking about the hairy man, or you know this. Uh, uh, Lake Eleama creature. It's not a one. Uh, it's not a one-off, right? There has to be more than one. Absolutely, for it to be a viable uh, biological creature, mm-hmm. right? They have to reproduce. Um, and one of the interesting things about this lake is it's one of the few places, maybe one of the only places, where they actually have freshwater seals. Wow, that's so, interesting. Big seals like you'd see in the ocean up there, they actually live in this lake. So you figure, now the, the seals really are definite. You know, you can see them on any day of the week. Right. Um, so they are there. So you certainly, it would be hard to argue that you couldn't have a shark there that somehow got there because the seals didn't take an Uber over. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I wonder if that's a one-off freshwater seals. 
it's uh it's definitely rare so i'll, I'll look into that to see if it if it occurs anywhere else but yeah i know it's uh v- you know pretty darn rare if not a one-off yeah yeah it's, I, i've yeah. never heard of it before no i hadn't either so that's why i'm kind of like hmm interesting that's pretty you know we've heard of like bull sharks are known to uh, swim upstream yeah. into fresh water yeah. and uh, can live in fresh water or salt water. Of course, one of the one of the deadliest sharks to man being the bull shark. So we know they have adjusted. So, you know, other creatures may be able to adjust. But again, it doesn't explain how they got over there from the ocean yeah. in there- terms of the uh, seals or this uh, potential... Uh, Pacific sleeper shark. Is there an outlet? Uh, Not a known outlet. So, you know, the the indigenous people believe everything's kind of connected underground, you know, but that could be true or it could be legend, right? No, we, know, we, no proof. No proof, mm-hmm. right. Um, but, but pretty interesting. And even the uh, Anchorage Daily News, once they offered a $100,000 reward for concrete proof, of the existence of this monster. That's a so, heavy prize, boy. It's a big prize, you know, for a newspaper to offer up. Yeah, and what were they considering proof? I That's, you know, I think you got to probably catch one. You know how it is. Yeah. If there's yeah, not a body, I'm, it doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> exactly. That's the, yeah. that's the crux of all of this, right? Show me the body. Exactly. Exactly. But you will, when you look into this, and I'll put some of the links on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, you will see folks talk about accounts where they saw it from, always accounts in the daytime, by the way, so not like, you know, on a stormy night where they could mistake it for something else. Um, But they see it uh, during the daytime. They see it from airplanes, and they see it from boats, and people have seen more than one. More than one time. Okay, at the same time. So, like you were saying, whatever it is, there's at least two. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you know, like you said, to be a viable species, there's got to be more than one, obviously. Yeah, and even more than two. Sure. You know. You know. But it's pretty interesting. So um, um, some of the folks that have seen it, and there's been a guy that's gone out to try and catch it on a regular basis, right? Um, and he goes out and he puts down these uh, long lines uh, um, uh, for catching halibut. You know, and it's like if you look at it, it's like a rope with these huge steel hooks on it, and they anchor it, the line, and uh, have put some cameras down there as well. And when they do this with, like, big chunks of salmon on all the hooks, the stuff, the rigs get com- completely destroyed. So they believe that there's something down there that's gigantic, you know, much bigger than they think of any other animal. Now, Kev, you've seen the halibut hooks, haven't you? Oh, yeah, I've I've fished for halibut. Yeah, you'd have a real tough time with tools and a vice to louse up one one of of those out. Yeah, forget it. Yeah, yeah, no way. Yeah, uh, Yeah. that's remarkable to me that their rigs are getting destroyed by whatever's yep. there. Yep. I don't know, man. Uh, I, I'm already thinking. Uh, yeah, so listen to this. Yeah. So this guy says, his name is Steiger, and he says, uh, um, one day in July 2017, he and his brother-in-law pulled up the heavy-duty 
200-foot long line that they'd stretched across the lake bottom after baiting 14 hooks with salmon heads, right? Yeah. Pretty formidable. Yeah. And he said big four-inch stainless steel snaps were gone off the line along with the thick nylon braided cord holding the hook. Wow. You know, another metal stainless steel snap was completely bent and one large nylon cord was sawed in two and another hook was completely missing. Yeah. I mean, the hooks and the nylon cord is uh, tough. But yeah. when you talk about a stainless steel snap, uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. No, and then he said that they dropped this thing with a 38-pound anchor. Right. You know, this line. Mm-hmm. And they set it with a GPS where it is. And it was in more than 100 feet of water. And it was dragged 50 yards along the bottom. And then all of this stuff was in like a tangled mess uh, attached to the anchor. Holy cow! And so whatever yeah, and that's was hard doing, to do. whatever was doing yeah. this was it wasn't enough that it had just wrestled with one hook and bait. It just kept going. Like yeah, I can handle this. Yep. Wow, that is crazy. Yep. And there's another account uh, going back to 1959. But some magazine called Sports Afield. I remember that. Uh, oh, okay. I didn't know that one. Yeah. Um, but they reported that something had ripped away tackle as a group fished for this animal, snapping a stainless steel cable like it was thread and snatching the moose meat bait that was on the end of the cable. No, look, when you say moose meat bait, I'm thinking a chunk of something. This ain't no small fish. You know, they were baiting for Bigfoot in the fish world. Yep. And by the way, Sports Afield, Kev, was an extremely legitimate publication for the sportsmen. And they covered everything from every kind and style of hunting you could think of to fishing uh, around the world. So extremely legitimate publication. That must be why I don't know anything of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in other words, again, I don't think they were posting this story as hokum because they had nothing to write about. Yeah. You know, because uh, they used to have stories of, uh, you know, uh, and pictures, guys duck hunting in Maine, and uh, then they'd have a segment on uh, sail fishing in Barbados. You know, they all kinds of stuff. You know, a couple of pictures, articles. They had, like, global beat reporters in different, like, departments. Yeah, no, it sounds super cool. Yeah, so they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't have just posted this if they didn't think there was some uh, legitimacy to the reports. No, no doubt. And so listen to this next account. Okay. This one, and by the way, so I saw a television show that talked about some of these accounts, too. It, our, our listeners are going to have to help me out because I was Googling for it to try and find the name. But it was called something like Alaskan Monsters or Alaskan Legend Monsters. And one of the creatures they featured was this lake monster. And they actually interviewed this woman. I'm going to quote it from this other article that I found, though. Her name is Robin Levine. And she's an Anchorage-based anthropologist, right? So she knows what she's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said that she and a colleague got a good look at the odd creature in the summer of 2008 
as their water taxi flew low over the lake on a very calm day. Hmm. So, right, she's flying a seaplane. Um, and she says it looked like a grayish fish, maybe 15 feet long, with a long head, prominent tail, and fins on its side, swimming in the shallow water. She said it was kind of twisting, like stirring up the sandy bottom, she said. At first, I thought it was two seals twisting, but then I realized that it was definitely one animal, and it was definitely more fish-like than whale-like. Huh. Yeah. Well, 15 feet long, uh, you know, that's not terribly big. Like you said, that sleeper shark, they said 2,000 pounds, 15 feet. Uh, I do think some of those sturgeons can get really big, but I don't think any bigger than that. No, but you'll you'll hear what some of the other accounts, Bill. It doesn't sound like a shark, right? And it doesn't sound like a sturgeon. So, like the the nearest thing that people describe it to, or they don't make the description, but when they describe it, the experts make the connection to uh, uh, an extinct or believed to be extinct plesiosaurus. Yeah. Right, have you seen an old? It's actually a reptile, but it lived in the dinosaur age. Yeah, very big, very hefty, very powerful. Very big, very hefty, and I saw a great description of it. They said that it looks like a snake that's stretched through the shell of a turtle. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good description. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a good description. Yeah. right. You know, um, but they are, you know, easily fifteen feet long and a couple of thousand pounds. That's what they say. So yeah. And I saw a skele- I, I saw a skeleton of a plesiosaur, uh, and it was considerably bigger than fifteen feet. Right. So I guess they right. could grow. Uh, sure. You know, much bigger. But they also have this head right on the long neck that's full of like a lot of teeth. Yeah. And in some of these accounts, people say that they saw the head just underneath the water with like big eyes. And um, and that the head just, like, scared the heck out of them. Yeah, you know, I used to have a lot of teeth. You remember that? <laughs> <laughs> and now my head scares a lot of people, too. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, they, you know, and they, they talk about it as uh, seeing the head. On the, when people have these different sightings, by the way, they say that the seals are, won't go near the water. So, of course, the seals know when these creatures are around. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So listen to this account. Go ahead. So this one is on a calm September day. A group of moose hunters sat in their skiff on the lake, and the men noticed what looked like two big sunken logs beneath their boat and didn't think much of it. They focused on scanning around the edge of the lake looking for moose. And they watched a family of swans floating nearby. Suddenly, one swan vanished underwater. In a matter of seconds, the rest of the flock was dragged under. The hunters watched in horror and fascination as what they thought had been sunken logs fed on the birds. Mm. One was the length and width of their 18-foot skiff and had eyes the circumference of soccer balls. <laughs> wow. Now, yeah. I mean, I don't know what kind of, if you had an 18-foot skiff, minimum four-foot beam. 
Yeah. Even if you had like a Lund, an 18-foot aluminum Lund, uh, the beam on that boat is probably right around 48 inches, somewhere around there. Yep, yep, four feet, yep. Uh, yeah, so if it was as wide as the skiff with these giant eyes plucking uh, uh, swans off the surface, that's just ambush. You know, they're oh, underneath know. and they come up and get it. Yeah, by the way, this article, I'm going to quote something else from it, too. I should have said it's from News Alaska Outdoors, and it's from October 29th, 2020. So not that long ago. So this report was taken? It was it was printed in that in that article. But I don't think it was that long ago. Wow. Uh, prior. You know, it's not an ancient report. It doesn't seem that way. Right. You know, and then I, in this. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and uh, my opinion is that the anthropologists in the seaplane water taxi probably just saw some other type of pretty good sized fish rolling around in the shallows, you know. Yeah, that other fifteen footers swirling around, you know, stirring up the sand. Who knows what that was? But this is obviously a, a certainly a different animal that we're talking about here. Oh, no doubt about it. So this gentleman, Bruce Wright, is also in the article, and um, he's a marine ecologist and apex predator specialist. I kind of want that on my business card, by the way, Bill. Apex predator specialist. I thought it was on your business card. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he he says, I'm not a big fan of cryptobiology, but as a scientist who studied everything from bears to sharks, he says, these stories of these lake monsters here are quite fascinating. So, you know, he says it's uh, what's so intriguing to him is the lake itself that five to eight million adult sockeye salmon come back to the lake each year. So others talk about that, too. So, you know, whenever you talk about having these big predators around that that may have gone extinct in other places, you know, folks say, well, how can they live there? Well, geez, if eight million sockeye salmon are swimming back through the lake every year, you know, they could certainly eat 500,000 of them without putting a dent in the eight million. Yeah, and plus, obviously, if these what these guys saw is true, they have other sources. I mean, plucking uh, birds off the surface. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you're hungry, there's a lot of stuff around that God provides, you know? Yep, yep. Like I go down to Branchinelli's and get a large cheese pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very cool. Pluck it right off the counter. So that's the lake monster. And, you know, on this show that I that I saw, this Alaskan uh, monsters, there was a guy on there and he uh, was interviewed and he busted out his uh, iPhone, his Apple iPhone, and he showed a video of this creature that he shot and he never posted it. He never showed it to anyone, but he's standing on the beach again, middle of a sunny day, calm water out there, you know, flat calm. About 100 yards off of the beach, he's there with his little kids. All of a sudden, the water's churning up, and you see this big black thing, kind of like the back of a plesiosaur, coming through the surface, and then kind of going down underwater in like a serpentine fashion, and you see these like three bumps appear along its back. Plain as day. Wow. Yeah. I mean, come on, and when something is moving like that, 
there's got to be some bulk or length to it to see the action of the, the curling and the arching. It's not sitting still doing that. It's not like it's flexing a bicep. No, it's no. Moving. And it's long. It's long, you know, as it's moving along like that where you can continuously see it. Versus like like I see dolphin here all the time out at the coast. Right. And, you know, it they pop up. You see the dorsal fin and they pop down. Right down, up and down. You know, I mean, they're six, seven feet long, maybe eight feet long, but not 20 feet long. Right. Yeah, and they just kind of bop in and out of the water continuously. Yeah. So something that is visible for that long, just making one headlong dive, if you want to call it that, a downward plunge, it's got yeah. to have some substantial length to it Definitely. Uh, to be seen moving like that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Wow, that is freaking crazy. And what was the name of this thing? What do they call this thing? They they just call it the uh, Lake Iliana Monster. Okay. Again, it sure as heck sounds. My pronunciation's probably wrong. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a freaking monster. Yeah, well, no, no doubt about it. That's excellent, Kev. What an excellent uh, story to bring to the table. And yeah. uh, speaking of excellent stories, I have something that I'm going to read here that actually, once again, is coming from your neck of the woods, Kev. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not my backyard, though, right? Not in your backyard, but... It's not Martha? Not Martha, <laughs> but uh, it is in your region, which, mm. you know, leads me to believe, you know, there's quite a few reports come out of North Carolina, uh, Tennessee, South Carolina, Bama, Arkansas. You know, there's, there's stuff going on, and uh, people can deny it. Uh, but everybody is not out of their minds, you know. No. Well, North Carolina is very rural. Yeah. I mean, um, I used to work right in the heart of Research Triangle Park, you know, outside of Raleigh. And um, I, people would come and visit us from all over the world over there. And they'd be amazed. Like, we would go out to lunch and be five minutes from the office in the heart of high tech. And there would be cows, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like they'd be like, "What the heck? How come this cows?" Yeah, like, well, it's farms, you know. Yeah, it's kind of hard to accept. You know, you're expecting more business, you know. Yeah, yeah, but uh, very interesting. So, listen to this. This following uh, brief but telling account was brought to my attention by Daniel Hargrove, a resident, <coughs> excuse me, of North Carolina. This is what Daniel experienced while fishing on the fly in late May of 2013, not that long ago. The hollow that I was fishing the day I had my sighting of Bigfoot was located only a few miles from my home. I had fished there on many occasions, and this was just another one of those days. A creek ran through this deep hollow which required a downhill walk of some three or four hundred feet to access. The banks on either side of the creek were flanked by what was about a 25-degree incline from the bottom to the top of the hollow, which remained at about that same grade throughout. I say this because coming down to the creek was one thing, and climbing out was quite another. 
The tree cover on either side was dense, but the trees themselves were very thin. The underbrush was sporadic and reasonably close to the ground, being at most six feet tall and very patchy. I only mention this because the visibility as you looked around was not great, but it wasn't impossible to see either. Depending on where you were standing, there were areas where one could see right to the top of the hollow, virtually unobstructed, while in other places you couldn't see 50 feet. Both the sides of the hollow, as well as the creek, were well lit as the bright sunlight filtered through the canopy, illuminating everything around me on that day. I was knee-deep in the creek, working my streamer around a massive boulder, and I had been in the same spot for almost an hour. There was absolutely nobody else around, and to be truthful, in all the years I had been coming here, I had never seen another soul. It was then that I heard some leaves rustling behind me and up the side of the hollow. When I looked, a large buck was running, not walking, down the side. Keeping in mind that this was several hundred feet down from the top to get where I was standing. The buck, having reached the bottom, jumped over the creek and commenced to run back up the other side to get out of the hollow. Now this was very unusual behavior for a deer. Generally, when they run, it's in short bursts, which told me that this buck was terrified of whatever had spooked it. From the moment I saw it, I watched it come down one side until it had completely made it up the other slope, and it was gone from my view. I kept looking up the side that it had descended, expecting to see something in pursuit, but I had seen nothing, so I refocused my attention on the creek. It was about a minute or so later, as I kept finding myself looking over my shoulder, that I noticed a large, dark figure coming down into the hollow, perhaps some 200 feet away from me. It took me all of about 10 seconds to realize that I was looking at a Bigfoot. I slowly negotiated my way into a position where I was hidden behind the boulder in the creek. I stayed there virtually unmoving, as I watched the Bigfoot. It came right down to the creek and knelt down, cupping its hand several times to drink water. Afterwards, it stood up and looked right in my direction for several seconds. Whether or not it saw me, I don't know, but that's when I realized that although I was well concealed... My yellow fishing pole was sticking up in the air like an antenna. The creature turned and walked south of me, following the creek for about 50 yards, occasionally stopping and reaching down to flip a rock over. After about 15 minutes or so, having not looked back in my direction so much as one time, the Bigfoot turned and walked back up the side of the hollow from whence he had come. When standing in the sunlight, he was dark, chocolate brown in color, and I would have to say that he was at least eight feet tall, if not more, 
and very sturdily built. When he began to ascend back up the hill, he did so with seemingly great ease, taking what appeared to be eight-foot strides uphill, reaching the three-foot-tall top in maybe a little over a minute's time, and it was absolutely amazing. What do you think of that, Kev? Amazing is right. Pretty bizarre, huh? Yeah. Now, he didn't say where he was. Um, I know in North Carolina, but he didn't mention the lake, right? Uh, He wasn't in a lake. He was fishing. Oh, a creek. He was fishing some creek down tucked inside some hollow. Or as we would say, a crick. A crick in a holler. (laughs) A holler. A crick in a holler. Exactly. Yeah. Anyways, uh, no, he's not giving it up. Uh, Obviously a good spot. One of his favorite fishing holes. Well, you know. It's like a moonshine, and they're not going to tell you where they set this still. There's no such thing as moonshiners, Bill. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> moonshine, is, moonshine is what illuminates the roof of my cabin. That's against the law. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know something? Not to change the subject for a minute, but it's funny you should mention that. One of my coworkers the other day out of the blue says, Hey, Bill, look at this. He shows me his cell phone, and he's on a certain website, and I won't tell you what. Very popular website for purchasing things. And there are all of these home stills you can buy. (laughs) I mean, with the containers, the screw, the, you know, everything beautifully made, you know, for, and it said right on it, for making home shine, this and that. And we were laughing like... I, I guess it's legit unless you're trying to sell it. Is that true? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you can do homebrew beer, right, right? right? You can make your own wine. You can make wine. Might be able to make your own shine. Yeah, so maybe and, you can make shine. And sh- with, you know, when you're worried about hiding from the COVID, you want to you wanna make your own shine. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, so this is quite the crazy uh, siding, but no crazier than other ones. He's he's just fishing. Uh, no, the, no. He's out the funny, there in a rural place. Nobody else around. Makes uh, sense. The, the funny thing was, too, the deer was running, but the Bigfoot wasn't in pursuit. Right. Uh, apparently, the deer had just split like guy and hanging around waiting to see what happens. <laughs> you know, and just took off. Kind of like me. If I saw the hairy man. Yeah, you better believe it. Hey, maybe the hairy man's not coming after me, but I'm out of here. Well, you know, I was just talking to somebody tonight who called me, Kev. He was actually sitting in the woods in Pennsylvania deer hunting while he was talking to me on the phone. Well. And uh, at the end of our conversation, I heard a little shuffle, and he said, I was just looking at a deer through the scope. He thought it was a doe, and he didn't have a doe permit. I, I was I was kind of hoping I was going to hear the crack of a rifle while we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got one, WJ. <laughs> Maybe like ten cracks of an AK forty-seven. You know, whatever he's hunting with. <laughs> well, now, there you go. You know, now you know. I want to tell you and the listeners something very interesting. You know, I'm always snooping around and trying to uncover. Uh, additional data streams. And in northern Manitoba, 
uh, for those of you guys listening around the world who don't know where northern Manitoba is, it's a province in Canada. And there is a tribe up there. Uh, I'm going to do my best. Ojibwe. Ojibwe. That sounds right, actually. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, well, this tribe, uh, Indigenous People for Canada, they have something that they call the seven teachings. Seven teachings. And they're more elaborate than what I'm going to say to you. But each of the seven teachings is related to a creature, something that lives uh, in Manitoba. And interesting, like we were talking about the totems in the past, Kev, how there were all these legitimate creatures on the totem, right? Yeah. And then suddenly there's this thing that looks like the freaking hairy man. Well, dig this, listeners. So... The seven teachings, each one is represented by an animal, and each animal has a word attached to it, a teaching. The buffalo. The buffalo is assigned the word respect, and there's a teaching about it that goes along with it. The elders teach these things. The second one is the eagle. And the eagle's assigned teaching is the word love. Then we have the bear, to which is assigned the word courage. We move on to the beaver, who is assigned the word wisdom. The wolf, who is assigned the word humility. The turtle who is assigned the word truth. And finally, the sabe, to which is assigned the word honesty. Now, guess what the word sabe means? Mm. Bigfoot. Uh-huh. Honesty, huh? Isn't that weird? The word honesty and the teaching of honesty is assigned to Bigfoot. I was rooting for love. Love, baby. But that was taken. (laughs) I would have assigned the word, tear your ass up. (laughs) How about stinky? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not much for English, but I think that was three or four words. (laughs) (laughs) You shall be called... Pig pen. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was listening to some of these teachings, and they're very good, uh, you know, and they describe, like, I found that the beaver was interesting because uh, the teaching is supposed to wisdom. Wisdom. But the elder was talking about how, like, when a fire comes through and damages the landscape, that the beaver is the first one to be hard at work uh, rebuilding, cutting trees with its teeth. And the teaching was that the beaver knows or doesn't know that if it's not working, if it's home laying on the couch, so to speak, 
its teeth will start to grow so long that it won't be able yeah, to open no, its mouth. And they are clever beasts. I mean, we have them in the river uh, right near the house in Raleigh. And um, it's interesting. You rarely see them, but you do see them swimming once in a while in the river. But you always see the, uh, the stumps of the trees. That they that they gnaw it's down. It's unmistakable that they that it was the work of a beaver. Yeah, you know, like they, you could tell it's like, uh, uh, you know, the stump is in a point. Right. That was gnawed at with like a thousand bites. Yep. Uh, no, cool. I know the point you're talking about. They look like the old pickets on the old frontier forts. Exactly. That's yep. exactly what it yep. looks like. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Very interesting. It's round and uh, right to a point, right in the center, if you were looking down from on it from above, and like whittled, you know, again, like probably literally with a thousand gnaws. Yeah, I do that sometimes when I'm not busy, so I can understand Chewing the beaver. On a tree? Yeah, why not? That explains why you're <laughs> teeth. <are. laughs> but isn't that weird, Kev? Honesty. Super weird. I mean, yeah, not- I wait. I would not like if we were doing a uh, match, match the uh, uh, seven animals to the words that they represent. I would have failed that test. Yeah, it's funny. See, yeah. the bear gets courage. Uh, the buffalo. What was the wolf again? That one made sense. Humility. Humility. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. It's kind of unusual, you know. But then when you hear yeah. the teaching, they talk about the animal and their habits and the way they live and. Their, their tendencies and how they act. And it's a teaching about the human being and then a respect for the creature and nature. But listen, here we go again. You don't just have a teaching about seven animals and one of them is fake. This is like, right. you know... No. Uh, you know, this is a group of people. I don't know what the history is about the Ojibwe. Uh, how far back they go, but these are not newcomers to Canada. It was, no. wasn't like they just showed up from... Uh, no, it's the first people, you know, the first nation. That's right. So yeah. kudos to them, and I was really uh, uh, glad to come across that. Uh, I was really kind of referred to it by somebody else and then had to uh, look into it for myself, you know, and there it was. Very cool. Yep. So that's it, Jeff. All right, man, we're going to go to some listener mail. Awesome. A round of applause. Yeah, exactly. We have a lot of listeners in Scotland, Bill. Yeah, we do. We were talking about the Loch Ness Monster, but we have another new listener writing in from Scotland. His name is Sean. Okay. He's very polite, by the way, too. He says, hello, sir. Yes. uh, I I think he's talking to me. Well, you wouldn't call me, (laughs) son. Live. (laughs) But he says, just wanted to tell you how much I'm enjoying Terror in the Woods, Volume 1. Uh-huh. I'm from Scotland. I now live in a smallish town called Thurzo. I'm originally from Glasgow, but wanted away from city life. There you go. Anyway, that's nothing to do with this email. What I love about this book, it's nice and simple to read, straight to the point. You don't string the encounters out. You tell what's needed to be told, and I personally love that. Also, the way you interact with the reader is really good. It's nice to read a book like this where the author is actually interacting directly with you. Lastly, I know 
you probably would have would not would have time to read or reply to this, which is totally understandable. And I'm sorry for my terrible grammar. Sean, your grammar's better than ours. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to thank you, Mr. Sheehan. Kind regards, Sean from Scotland. Ah. Yeah, that's really nice, Kev. You know, it's it's just yeah, it's cool, cool to hear a hello. I know. I love hearing from these people in other parts of the world, too. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. And it is true. We do have a lot of listeners over oh, there yeah. in the when UK. When you look at the map of the downloads and playthroughs, it's crazy. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's freaking amazing. Yeah. And yeah. people, by the way, what Kevin just said is so true. Uh, the hosting site for our podcast... We get to see, like, who's downloading and from where and how many people. I mean, every place on the planet you can imagine is in that uh, that skew. It's I, truly I, shocking. Truly I, shocking. I look at that thing, Kev. There are countries on there I've never heard of. <laughs> I mean, you. I'm like, I'm where the heck you. is this place? Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. Somebody's sitting around with a flute. <laughs> and he's got Bigfoot Terry in the woods playing in the background. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Living in a tent made out of animal skin. Yeah, he's, he's sitting in a Turk stand playing a flute and listening to Bigfoot Terror in the woods. <laughs> I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> All right. This next one is uh, uh, she doesn't say where it's from, and I think it's a she. Uh-huh. Uh, Maricela. Okay. But she doesn't say where she's from. But Maricela writes, this, oh, it's about Mothman, episode 76. Yeah. The Chicago Mothman. Oh, yeah. She said, this episode, when you're describing the encounter with the lady in the car, that noise it makes and using its wings that look like a coat, this describes the monster from the movie Mimic with Maria Servino. I love the movie. I believe there is a Mothman or something similar in the movie. Love your show. Keep up the freaking great stories. <laughs> so have you seen this movie, Mimic? I, I've never even heard of I it. I haven't, and I uh, I replied back to Maricela, okay. and I said, I'm not familiar with the movie, but, like, you know, we're really glad you're listening. <laughs> yeah. I got to look that one up. Yeah. Maybe I, I'll watch it later on if it's got Mothman in it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know me, Kev. Well, you don't really know. I'm I'm not really big on the movie scene. Uh, I'm a little freaky that way compared to most other people that I see. But I'm I'm into different. I go to a different drum, so to speak. <laughs> you know, it's all good. Yep, it's all good. All right. Well, the next one comes in. And this is the gentleman you talked to, I think, Bill. Okay. But his his name is Louie. And Louie's from North Carolina, right around your neighborhood, Kev, he yep. writes. Yep. Um, so it's kind of like, I don't know what it is, Bill. The only people that write in from North Carolina are like Louie, Vinny, Tony. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> are these people in the witness relocation? Uh, well, yeah. You know, you got to go somewhere when you got to go, brother. <laughs> I'm just saying. I got to be careful around here. Hey, Louie. <laughs> but listen, Louis is not. Uh, uh, I spoke to Louis, and uh, you know he's not like your typical Costa Rican. Uh, I know some people from Costa Rica that 
you know, really lived there many, many years, and they can't shake the the thick accent, you know. Yeah. But uh, Louis a nice guy. I spent a little time with him on the phone. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. So he says, uh, first off, let me say I've never listened to podcasts until two weeks ago. And you guys are the very first one. I've laughed many times and I've shivered at the same time as I pictured encounters from the listeners that they have shared. Mm -hmm. I love the way you guys run the show. And I definitely rate you guys five stars. So thank you, first off there, Louie, for those five-star ratings. Now for the main part of the message. Aside from praising you guys, which, by the way, is okay, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my words. I'd like to share uh, my love of cryptids since I first heard about them. Whenever I hear about something new, I add them to my roster to gain real, real knowledge of them. Bigfoot is one of my favorites. During the midsummer of 1998, I was eight years old, and my mother decided to take me to meet my family for the first time, uh, my uncle, who drove a taxi at the time for the city in, Cost- in San Jose, Costa Rica. I'm sorry, Bill, my uh, email here for some reason is distorted all of a sudden. So I'll do my best to figure out uh, digitally what it says. (laughs) The drive to my grandparents was pretty long. And as I said, it was nighttime. However, the moon on that night was large and the sky was clear. Um, He says... We're passing around a corner of several hills, and as soon as we turn, we made the turn, my, my eyes rested on uh, the top of the hill several yards away, and it was my first view of this creature. Yeah, yeah. And it was a 15 to 30 second encounter, but it felt like 15 to 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, he said, growing up, my mom and neighbors would watch Spanish news instead of the U.S. news. And and they would talk about the Bigfoot sightings and how some farmers would report that their livestock were taken in the middle of the night. That's kind of what you're saying, too, Bill, that, you know, when your bride, who's uh, from down that way, she... uh, when you watch the Spanish news, they talk about this stuff, but on our news, they don't. Yeah, well, you know, Telemundo, which is uh, one of the Spanish news networks, uh, they will introduce anything. And we've spoken about this before. If there's a UFO sighting, something filmed, somebody's uh, chickens have been taken somewhere, they got somebody right on the spot interviewing them. And they'll run the story just like talking about the stock market, you know, it, they have no problem uh, putting it out there and, and letting you have at it, you know. And it's not done tongue-in-cheek. You know, it's it's not like people are just laughing it up as they're reading the report, you know, and the guy throws the paper over his head, you know, like yep. worthless, you know. Uh, yep. It's legit. No, and he talks about the fact that he, he saw some Brahmin cows. Yeah. Uh, big, big cows, you know, very big. Right. Um, and they were near this uh, Bigfoot sighting and that this thing was much bigger than a Brahmin cow, you know, from head to tail, comparing it to the cow, uh-huh. and that it was black and gray. Yeah. And he says, you know, maybe that's because it was one of the older ones. Who knows? But he said it was truly terrifying and I will never forget it. 
Yeah, you know, he made, he told me uh, there's basically one big road that runs around all of Costa Rica. And then apparently mm-hmm. there are other roads, but they're in tight to the city. Uh, but to get around, it's like uh, I, I envision it like the coastal roads on California, you know, where it just yeah, it makes sense. runs makes north sense. and south. And he was on one of these roads, you know, a little kid, eight years old, as a passenger in the car, and saw this thing basically basking in the moonlight uh, in this field or hill where these Brahma uh, cows and bulls were grazing or hanging out for the night. So, you know, hey, Kev, I don't know if you know it, but like a lot of the bulls that are used in the bull riding championships are Brahmas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, didn't know where they came from, though. Yeah, well, they're big, nasty buggers, I'll tell oh, you that. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not jumping on one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those days are past. Yeah, no. There was a day where I would jump on one of them. <laughs> but that day is long gone. Yeah, well, there's not enough oil in the can to get on a bull, let me tell I you I do that. wrangle my Labrador from time to time. But. And she wins. <laughs> she does. <laughs> She's a speedy little beast. <laughs> Takedown! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so that's the last letter, Bill, but it's fantastic. Great account, too. And uh, Louie, hopefully I'll run into you one of these days around the great state of North Carolina. Yeah, and then- Maybe you and Vinny and I can go get a cup of coffee or a cup of shine. Yeah, and you can see if any of these guys had any uh, plastic surgery done, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not asking any questions. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> Who said anything about murder? <laughs> but that, <laughs> that's right. Leave the gun. Take the cannolis. <laughs> One of my favorite Godfather lines. <laughs> anyway, so thanks for listening, folks. And uh just want to... Make a call out to you, of course, to continue to be safe as we see an uptick here in the dreaded COVID virus. But also, uh, when you get a chance, if you like what you're listening to, even if you don't like what you're listening to, please give us a five-star review. Those five-star reviews are super important to us because it's virtually the only way we get new listeners on the podcast is by the number of five-star reviews we have. So by getting more listeners, we're able to continuously improve the quality of the podcast and keep the frequency of the podcast going. So please leave us those five-star reviews. Yeah, that's awesome. Great show, Kev. Great show. And my dear listeners, if you decide to move outside of Glasgow into the country. Remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight. <laughs> <laughs>